0: Today I want to talk to you about many teachers, few fathers. Everybody say, many teachers, few fathers. Once again, during this sermon series, I'm speaking from the heart, whatever God gives me, hopefully not rambling, but in the moment, what God gives me in between services, different messages by God's grace for each service. So make sure you check out the app. You can check out all the previous messages. The first service message was on being spiritual, but not spooky or sinful. And we went through the book of 1 Corinthians and saw that though they had received all of these spiritual gifts, they were still, acting spooky and, and uh, sinful but God wanted them to be spiritual and that was an amazing message and as I was going through it in the first service I was struck by this passage in first Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 that powerfully demonstrates the need of knowledge and of impartation of mentors and what we have called in the church spiritual fathers everybody say spiritual fathers. Thank you. That is actually a term from the Scripture. I do believe it's been abused, but I want to talk about it. So let's look at it here first in the context. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says in chapter 4, verse 14, I am writing this not to shame you. And these are the rebukes that they're getting in the previous chapters. But he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear, what? Children. Somebody say spiritual children. Because do you think he birthed them physically? Okay. Did you think that he's a mother? No. And is he a father literally to them? No. So he's not a parent, but he has children spiritually. Now look at verse 15. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. Now, Right here, the Catholics get all excited and go, yay. See, we've been telling you all along. That's why you call Father Tom, Father Tom. You see, you're supposed to have fathers. That's not what he's saying. I'm going to get into that to all due respect to my Catholics. I love you enough to talk about you, so don't get offended. Amen? And I do it in front of their face because I love them. I help Catholics see the Scriptures for what they are. Let's not be blinded by tradition, even our own tradition here. Let us see the Scriptures for what they are. Though Catholics, Orthodox, others can be Christians if they acknowledge Christ, they can also have some false traditions. So they may get excited right here and go, see, that's why we call them fathers. We're going to talk about why we don't refer to these folks as fathers fathers, but we can consider them like fathers. They don't get a title called a father, but we can consider them like a father. Does everybody get that? So Paul is saying, I've become your father through the gospel. Once again, is that literal? No, that's spiritual. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son. So the Corinthians are considered his children. He is like a father, and Timothy is my son, whom I love, who once again, we know that's not literal, it is spiritual, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, because this has been abused, I want to start with with the clarification, and then I want to go into the message. Let's go to Jesus' teaching on this in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 9. Why did the Roman Catholic Church and others begin to consider their spiritual leaders fathers? The reason why they did this was because the spiritual connotation is there. It's true. We do have spiritual mothers. We do have spiritual fathers. We do have spiritual brothers and sisters. How many know that? In Jesus' time, even in the book of Matthew, which we don't have time to get into it now, they said, Hey, your mother's out there, and your brothers and sisters are out there, because we know Jesus had other children, had siblings. Mary had other children. And then what does he say? Who is my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? It's those who do the will of God. How many know Mary was not sleeping around? How many know that's not what he was saying? What he is saying is that I've got a brother from another mother. I've got a sister from another mister. He was speaking spiritually. He was talking about the general sense of humanity coming to God forms a spiritual family. But now look at how Jesus directs it towards people who want to make father a title, a title of mediation between you and God. Look at it. First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Matthew 23 verse 9, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Now, right there, the Protestants get all excited because we've protested the false traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. And the Protestants get all excited and they go, Yay, call no man Father. You only have one Father. And then they go home and they go, Father, what's for dinner? Uh oh, now the Protestants have a problem, don't we? Because you're calling your earthly father, your father. And then he goes on to say, nor call anyone instructors. And then they go to their college class and say, professor. And then they come to church and say, pastor or teacher. And now the Protestants in trouble because it says, call no one instructors for you only have one instructor, the Messiah. Now, how do we find the perfect balance from not falling into either ditch? One ditch says that there is no one in our life that's as a teacher or as a father and that we can't call anyone in any sense a father or teacher. Everybody go, Aah. You fall off into that ditch. On the other side, it says, call everybody in charge, father, instructor, and look to them as your mediation between you and God because you won't have a relationship with God unless you go to the father. That's on earth, a priest. You won't know anything about God unless you go to the teacher, the instructor. Everybody go, come on, go, go there with me into that ditch. No, you don't want to be there. You got to be right in the middle. It is a spiritual title that can be referred to for people to have authority over us, but not a title of mediation or a title that says they do something that only God is supposed to do. Does everybody get it? See, now you have to go back. So go back to that other tab that we have in 1 Corinthians 14 and see how Paul meant this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, rather. See how Paul meant it. He says, though you have 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father. Everybody go, ah. See, now you get it. And then he goes on to say, imitate me. So yes, he can have the title of a spiritual father, but not the title of an actual father that mediates your religious relationship between you and God. Let's go to the teacher section of this. Go to 1 John in a new tab for me. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. John the Apostle had just called them children. He had said the same term about that congregation that, he, uh, that Paul had said about the Corinthians. And as a matter of fact, he goes back to it in verse 18. You can see it there. Dear children, okay? But now look at verse 16. It says, for everything in the, uh, excuse me, not uh, chapter 2, verse 16, uh, chapter 2, verse 26, rather. Chapter, so just keep on scrolling down. So just keep scrolling down, brother. You're in the right chapter. Just go to verse 26 there for me. Thank you. Notice what he says. I am, and he's already called them children a few different times. He says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So those people trying to deceive them. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't need anybody teaching me. Come on, say, I got the anointing. Come on, get sassy, like how people leave the church sometimes, just pretend you're one of them right now and just be like, I don't need anybody. Come on, anybody teaching me. So hold on here. Let's, you know, let's put on the break here for this rebellious person. Hold on. If John really means you don't need anybody teaching you, why is he teaching you in a letter? Do you ever think about that? Like, hey, let me go to this letter where John teaches me that I don't need anybody to teach me. pretty hypocritical, isn't it? So you are being taught something, aren't you? And you're being taught you don't need anybody to teach you. But what is this that he is saying that you don't need anyone to teach you? Is it saying you don't need epistles anymore, lessons from the apostles? Is it saying you don't need to go to school anymore, that you're just going to know everything? No, let's follow it through in its context. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Somebody say it's taught you. What was the teaching it was teaching you in all things in those chapters before? It was teaching you to love God and obey his commands. The anointing by the Holy Spirit is the only validation that you can have that guarantees your salvation. I can't teach you that. I can't teach you in such a way for you to have an affirmation of your salvation. I cannot give you security of your beliefs. I cannot affirm to you whether or not you are saved, know and love God, and are obeying God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that in you and through you. Does everybody get it? That's what he was talking about in the previous verses. And As a matter of fact, just go to where we accidentally went, but it's a Holy Ghost Coinkie. Go right back up there to verse 16 of chapter 2 because it says, uh, in verse 15, it says, Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives for how long? How long do they live? Forever. Now who can teach you whether or not you're doing the will of God? I don't know if you're doing the will of God. You could be pretending to do the will of God right now. You you could be faking it. I don't know whether or not you truly have the love of God in you. And only the Holy Spirit can do that, and he will teach you all things. Now, going back to that passage in 1 Corinthians, please. When you think about what Paul is teaching us here, let's put it into our full understanding now about teachers and leaders and spiritual fathers. Let's put it all together here. Paul is saying, you have a lot of people that want to be your teacher. You have a lot of people who are around you, who are wanting to influence you, but you don't really have spiritual fathers who care for you, love you, and want to raise you up in the things of Christ. Through how they live, you imitate how to live for Jesus. He's saying that's not what you have, but you have a lot of people trying to get you to listen to what they have to say, buy their books, go to their conferences, hear their sermons, but they're really not bringing you closer to God. And so we are supposed to walk on this path of understanding that we need spiritual fathers and teachers and leaders, but we don't need them to mediate for us our relationship with God, and we don't want to neglect them because we stand on our own. We have to have a balance of needing them spiritually in our lives to help us watch, everybody get this, to help us understand the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and what we're supposed to do in life. Do you get it? You and I need people like spiritual fathers to take us through the scriptures and help us hear the voice of God. Have you ever found your name written in the Bible and what you should do in life? I haven't. Have you read the Bible lately and it told you who to marry? Has any scripture been written to you about what church to attend? You see, these are things you hear from the Holy Spirit, right? How many of you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Right, So the Holy Spirit says, this is who you should marry. This is how you should go to your job and what you should do in your life. This is the church you should attend. But how many know you don't always hear the Holy Spirit correctly? How many of you in your Christian walk, walking with the Lord, have uh, misheard or have mistaken the voice of God for your own voice and for the doubts and fears or situations you yourself put upon yourself? So what is the role then of a spiritual father? The role of a spiritual father or teacher that God is using is to help direct and guide you so that you're not distracted by your own flesh and everybody that's out there trying to influence you. You see, Paul says you have many guardians. You have a lot of people that are willing to be your babysitter. That's what it's like when you go to YouTube. And there may be great pastors there because I'm a pastor and I'm pretty great and I'm on YouTube right by God's grace. But you don't find a spiritual father or leader on YouTube, do you? You just find a babysitter, someone that you can listen to for a little bit, occupy your mind, and that is awesome. And there may be the best teachers out there and the best father-like figures in the spiritual world out there. They may not even be here today. I may not even be the best. Let's just, let's just put that out there right now. I may not be the best example of a spiritual father or a teacher, even though I'm trying to do my best. But let's say one out of 10, I'm a six, and someone out there is a nine or a 10. But listen, you're not there today. You're here today. Come on, can I just keep it real with you today? And you're my responsibility. And I haven't uh, told you what I think about you, by the way. (laughs) Because let's say we're judging church members out of 1 to (laughs) 10. Let me be honest. No, I'm kidding. How about you give me a 10? I'll give you a 10. We'll all get along. Half kid. We could be real with each other. So what do we need in the body of Christ? Why is it so important that Paul says this? Let's just put this to rest once and for all so we can go with the message. Does, Does Paul now say what he wants to happen there in Corinth is somebody now to be called Father Joe? They walk around, feed you communion tell you when your sins are forgiven because you've confessed them to them in a dark closet, and then they tell you what penance to make, pray this, pray that, do this. Is that what he's saying needs to happen there? I mean, it's just obvious that's not what needs to happen. It's not even mentioned. It's not even the context. And once again, it's not to disrespect our friends who do this. It's to simply show them that's not the biblical way. What he is wanting them to do is to reciprocate and to multiply what he has done in their life. He wants them to see that he has been good to them as a father. Not someone who just babysits and teaches and has a conference and comes and goes and tries to get them to pay for his goodies that he's selling, you know, nineteen ninety nine, and then he'll put in a free holy cloth there that's anointed that you can have in your living room or whatever. He is not trying to use them. What he's trying to do is set an example. How do I know that? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just a few more chapters in that book, what does he then say to them? He then says, follow me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Do you get what he's saying to them? He's saying, guys, you're making Christianity about finding whoever you want to kind of babysit you and teach you, but you're not going to spiritual authority and spiritual leaders to really grow in your faith. I want you to see me as that, not that you can make me an idol, someone that you now worship instead of Christ. No, so that as you see me as that example, you become an example to others. Right now, we have a deficit in the church world of godly leaders. We have a lot of people that are good speakers. They're comedians. They're fashionable, right? Come on. They're good singers, some good authors, but very few spiritual fathers. We have very few spiritual fathers in the leadership of the church and in the congregation of the church. What we have is a lot of spiritual babes leading other spiritual babes. Let me give you a sign of a spiritual babe. The first sign of a spiritual babe says, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. How many know you should do exactly what they said, stop following them? Any pastor that you hear say say that, stop listening to them. Don't follow me, just follow Jesus. Okay, you're deleted from my playlist. Anybody that's in a life group, anybody that's in some type of discipleship and the first thing they say to you is, "Hey, don't follow me. I'm going to let you down. You just follow Jesus." Say, "Thank you. I'm not going to have you be my disciple or anymore. My mentor anymore." Now, does that mean all of us are going to always do it perfectly? No. But the first sign of maturity taking this head on is saying, "I'll be your example." You see the difference in that? One says in in their kind of like humility and humbleness don't follow me just follow Jesus that sounds humble but it's actually super prideful because what it's really saying is Jesus sucks so bad at making me a leader I'm not even worth following and no one else in this church is either he's terrible at making leaders I said the S word I hate using it but I felt it was powerful there seriously Jesus sucks at making leaders he, he's done a terrible job in my life. See how prideful that is? Prideful. You mean God who said we could do all things through Christ who strengthened us, who said he's greater than, in us than he that's in the world, who said we're more than conquerors, can't give us an example on earth of what it means to be a Christ follower? We're all that terrible? You mean the devil has put that much of a stain that Jesus can't clean us? We've all been that corrupted that we cannot be an example? You see, that's pride when someone says, don't follow me. I'll let you down. No, follow me. And if I do let you down, follow me as I repent for the things that I've let you down for. Because even in the the Christian life, there's an example you can set of how to repent of your sins. Even if I sin against you, I'll show you the example of how to ask for forgiveness before you and God. Follow my example. Look at your neighbor and say, follow my example. As I follow the example of Christ. You see, that's Christianity. Christianity is Christ's likeness, it's being a disciple as Christ has taught us to be. And this is where it starts in the body of Christ: is each one of us taking the responsibility here to say, Hey, I'll be an example. I will be an example in my high school. I'll be an example in my junior high. I'll be an example in my family. I'll be an example on my job. I will be an example in this God-forsaken city. Doesn't it feel like it's God-forsaken at times? I'll be an example in Chicago of what it means to follow Christ. And you see, that's where you get real with Christianity because now the spotlight's on your life. How are you going to act on that job? How are you going to act around your family? How are you going to be in your community? Because if they see you losing your testimony and they see no difference in your character to their character, then there is no example for them to follow. And they can now blaspheme the name of Jesus and say, what's so real about Christianity? There's nothing different about you guys than my friends that I hang out with. My friends have a jacked up marriage, you have a jacked up marriage. My friends don't keep their jobs very long, you don't keep your job very long. My friends' kids don't obey their, you know, their parents, your kids don't obey your, your parents, you as a parent. You don't keep your word, my friends don't keep their word. See, we as Christians need to get out of that funk. And stop living like the devil and start living like Christ. And say, hey, I'm going to ask Jesus to make me a spiritual father to others so that I am not a part of what stumbles people or causes them to stumble in the body of Christ, but I'm a part of what lifts people up. Because what do you think it meant for Timothy to be able to see Paul as a spiritual father? How much do you think that meant to him? That probably meant a whole lot. If you study Timothy's life, his father wasn't a Christian. And so Paul was that example to him. And so could you imagine, like, Paul's going through a tough life situation, and it may feel, you know, scary for him, but what's he going to do? He's going to write a letter to Paul. He's going to contact Paul, and he's going to think to himself, God's going to use Paul to encourage me. You see, that's what the church needs to be like now. I remember growing up when I was young, before I had all this gray hair, and I knew that if I went to the Bible study with my problems, there would be somebody that would help me get an answer. I understood that there were people like my parents who were living for God, though they had mistakes, they were quick to repent of those mistakes and keep their example, their integrity. I knew that there were those I could aspire to be like. And I feel like now in the church, no one wants to be like the pastors or the leaders or anyone else that's in charge because they don't see them any differently. You should be able to see something worth imitating in my wife and I's marriage. My wife and I's marriage should be the first example to you if you have not been brought up as a Christian of what a godly marriage looks like. The other elders and deacons in this church should do the same. We should not be hypocrites. I should be an example to you of what a godly family looks like. I have enough kids, six, so I should be able to identify with most of you here. Unless you got me beat today, somebody might have seven or eight or more. And we should set as examples. And once again, if I let you down in that example, if you say, Joe, when I was at your house, boy, man, you lost your temper with uh, Lucas or, or Zoe, You know what? I would want you to be able to say, but I saw you tell me you were sorry for doing that. And I saw you say it to your children. Because my example now is an example of how to repent and make something right. The body of Christ Has had too many YouTube stars, bloggers, podcasters, five minute radio things. This is Louis Palau. And then he comes on K Love and tells you what he's saying. I love these guys. Levi Lusco. Here's a five minute word from Levi, or a 20 second word from Levi Lusco. Okay, we've had too many of those. Where is your pastor, your leader, your shepherd, your spiritual father slash mother? Where are people you are looking up to? And obviously, I cannot be that for everyone. I'm in relationships with the elders and deacons building that up. But this should be multiplying with your life group leaders and with those you are being discipled by. And right now, if you're intimidated by that because you say, man, I come from, I've come from another church where they said these kinds of things and it was abused, listen, forgive them and don't hold that again. Against us, start over new here and watch what God will do. Amen? Behold, Jesus said, I uh, through the prophet in making all things new. He will make rivers in the wilderness. And so by God's grace, over 20 years I have kept my example. So, you know, This is not something I'm new at. I have kept my example of integrity, sexual purity, sound doctrine, honesty and in relationship with the people of the congregation and also in how to repent when I've done uh, certain things wrong. So start with myself, my wife and I. We're not here to be a substitute of your relationship with God. I'm not asking you to call me Father Joe and now make me the mediator between you and God. I'm not, I'm not asking you to come to me about who you should date, where you should live, all of these things. I believe in your priesthood between you and God. But what I should be for you is an authority of character, doctrine, and the things of God so that you know there's a pillar at this church amen and once again from the beginning I'm not even saying I'm the best pillar like let's look at this pillar right here this pillar would you tap that pillar for me just so everybody knows we're talking about that pillar okay this pillar right here may not be the prettiest pillar there may be pillars all throughout the world better than this pillar are you guys tracking with the example right now come on There may be ornate pillars with flowers on them, made out of the most beautiful marble. But how many know that pillar's doing its job right now? How many are thankful for that pillar? Because you are in this building. You're not in the Colosseum of Rome. You are right here today. So that pillar has a function for you. I may be that pillar. And this pillar right here may be one of our other sisters that are a leader. Like Cynthia Rodin, would you wave, wave your hand? Let's give it up for one of our elders, Cynthia Rodin. This pillar right here. And another one of our leaders may be this pillar right here. And you may, like, like Brother Tony. Tony, would you raise up your hand? This is an awesome man. Let's give it up for Brother Tony. And he's one of our deacons. And, and that's a pillar right there. Once again, we don't have to be better than other pillars in other churches and other locations. My, my responsibility as a pillar is to not outperform somebody else over there. My job as a pillar here in the house of God, upholding the truth, setting the standard, is to make sure you have a covering and to make sure that you have something that you can look up to and aspire to as you are wanting to be a pillar in the house of God. How many pillars do I have in the house of God today? Amen. Now open up your Bibles with me, please, to uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. What happens when we take on our roles in the body of Christ as being spiritual leaders, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers? And there are spiritual mothers mentioned in the Scripture as well, uh, in the book of 3 John. Uh, let's just go there with a fresh tab. I want to just show them a spiritual mother here. Go to 3 John, a book that most people don't visit much, but it's going to talk about a spiritual mother here. Uh, 2 John, rather. Go to 2 John. 2 John mentions a dear lady who, like Cynthia, was a leader of the church. Look at this. The elder, that's John, writing to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Somebody say her children. You see, here is a woman overseeing a house church in the early church, and she has children. Isn't that powerful? So that way you can understand it applies to women and as well to men. But going back to that Proverbs, uh, that, that proverb, go to Proverbs 11.25. What did God intend for us in this role that we all are supposed to play? Just like all healthy males and females are able to grow up and reproduce, all healthy Christians are to grow up spiritually and become spiritual mothers and fathers. Does everybody get that revelation? You can choose to be single for the rest of your life. You can choose that. But your anatomy, if you're healthy, is able to reproduce. In the body of Christ, there is no spiritual eunuch. There isn't. And I'm going to be a little bit graphic, but I'm going to try to use as PG language as I can. As I see all the mothers, I just got your attention. Okay, what are you going to say, Pastor? Let me just know. I'm going to plug up the children's ears right here. Come on. There are single people wasting their seed on themselves. Okay, you guys understand single people do that. And they waste their spiritual uh, their physical sexuality on themselves. Both male and female can waste what they have on themselves. Is everybody tracking with me there? And there are spiritual people wasting their seed and wasting their reproduction. Because they do not want to partner with the body of Christ to reproduce. And the Bible literally says that the word of God is the sperma. The sperma, I'll just leave it in the Greek language for you guys, okay? Sperma is the seed of the word of God. And we're not, no one is to waste it as a Christian. You are to have it planted and have it grow and bear forth fruit. So just like how all of us can bring forth fruit in the natural, we're all supposed to bring forth fruit in the spiritual. And though there are some exceptions in the natural to who will be a mother or a father, because some are called to be that and they're not, sinful, but they're just called to be single. But in the body of Christ, no one is supposed to be barren. Everyone is supposed to bear fruit. Now, why does God ask us to do it? Look at it. Proverbs chapter eleven twenty five: 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The greatest gift a parent gets out of having children is the refreshment of having them in their lives. Now, some of you parents, you're not feeling the refreshment right now, but be honest, how many have felt it before and how many know it can be there? When I talk to people who are waiting to have children and they want to, so they're not called to singleness, that's a certain kind of person the Bible says is, is a real calling, but to the people who say, I desire to have children, I always tell them, it is the greatest thing you'll ever do on this earth. It is the greatest thing because out of that flows every spiritual principle. Every spiritual principle falls falls under what God intended us to do in the garden before there was ever a building called the church, apostles and prophets, before there was ever lost people to see their souls saved and disciples made. That union that a husband and wife have together with reproduction, having a blessed family is literally, I believe, the image of the triune God on earth. I would go into a whole nother set of conversations to get us to understand that. But the family represents the Trinity, and the Trinity represents the family. And I don't say that to make anyone feel bad. If you're single, trust me, I was single as a Christian for 10 years, but embrace this teaching. Do not neglect it. Even if you're single right now or as a single parent and you're saying, man, my heart breaks that I don't have this complete image, it is okay. God is gracious. He says he's a father to the fatherless, and he's like a mother to those who don't have a mother. He will fill in the blank of whatever situation you're in today, whether you're a widower or whether someone has left you or life's problems have happen. Do not take this as something to be discouraged over, but to hold up as the ideal, to embrace it, even though you may have some tough times now. Can I hear an amen for that? Don't, don't diminish what it is. Your heart can love again. A family can come again. We have, we have married so many single parents together in this church when they thought love was never possible, so don't give up on that. But I want you to understand that the body of Christ, through us being spiritual mothers and fathers, was to have spiritual children and to be refreshed by them as we ourselves are refreshing them. So I want you to think about this. Middle-aged people, male and female, begin to go through, through hormonal changes in their body. Women go through menopause and guys go through midlife crises. And both of them are related to the chemicals of the brain and the body and how it affects you. Do you know that at that same age of menopause and midlife crisis, you're supposed to have either children or young adults around you invigorating you with their passion for life so that you can be encouraged by what's happening in the world even though you're getting older and your body is changing? you're supposed to look at them and go, that's what it's about. Not to live vicariously through them or make them your idol and dress them up as a doll as you wish them to be. But honestly, as the woman is going through menopause, she's supposed to be preparing her daughter for marriage. What greater thing to help heal the mind and be restored through what we would consider the endorphins of the brain? What greater way to, you know, to uh, ignite those endorphins than to helping your children grow up and experience a life that is full of blessing? What a greater way for me as a man, as my hair is turning gray and I'm losing my strength, to go out in the backyard and have fun with my young son? Are you with me? Do you understand the principle in the family of how when we refresh, we are refreshed? And so when I talk to my friends who are 40 years old, and some of them even haven't had kids yet, and they're still on depression medication, and they're having all these mental anguishes in their life, and I explain to them, not that everything is related to this, but I ask them, I say, look back at your life. Is it possible that you have mental anguish, feelings of loneliness and depression because you have lived the last 40 years for yourself? You haven't known what it's like to be in love and refresh your wife and your wife refresh you. You haven't known what it's like to bring forth a child and then make a, a, a family and make it about refreshing them and they refresh you. And they go, I've never thought about it that way. I go, you need to go back to the Bible. And then at other times when I talk to people and they say, oh man, you know, I can't stand my kids and, and this, this and that. I say, why have you allowed your kids to be something other than what refreshes you? I'm not saying that we can always control our children, but we as parents should set the the rules of what's allowable in our house and it should be dictated through what's a blessing to us. If you're not blessing me, child, you're doing something wrong because you're here also to be a blessing to me, right? And then I let them know, I say, I won't be a, a, a lonely person in the nursing home. I got enough kids to come one day of the week and then I go to church on Sunday. Six days a week, each one of you take a turn, you come visit me. Some of these cool yuppie guys with only one or two kids, they're going to be bored in that nursing home. They're going to have to get fed from the spoon by the nurse's aid. God bless nurse's aid. But I'm going to have each one of my children come and take care of me. See, because when I get old and gray, they're going to be there. They're going to be there with their grandchildren, with their children, my grandchildren. Now, do we find that principle in the same context of what we were just talking about ministry? We do. Go to Romans Chapter 15, verse 25, uh, verse 32 rather, look at Paul, the man of God that he is, using the term of Proverbs when it comes to ministry and mentorship and leadership. He says here in verse 32, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be what? Somebody say refreshed. And in your company be what? Refreshed. Paul said, hey, I've been pouring into you as a church. I can't wait to get around you and you pour into me. Those who refresh others are themselves refreshed. Those who become spiritual mothers and fathers refresh others as spiritual children, and then those spiritual children refresh them. Sometimes I get people in the church, you know, God bless them, they're, they're dear old saints, and they want us now to, to be there for them in every one of their emotional needs, and we should take that as a role in our church to help people like that. But you know what I like to tell them and have them think about? Why is it you have no one around you to come spend time with you and to pray for you, and if you're sick, go visit you in the nursing home when you've been a Christian for 30 years? Why doesn't nobody miss you? It's because you made it all about you in the church for 30 years. You didn't make spiritual sons and daughters in the church these last 30 years. Because if you would have been pouring into Nathan, if you would have been pouring into Rudy, if you would have been pouring into the the different sisters and brothers here, they would notice the first time you're not here and be there all by themselves without me having to assign them to go. Because mama's sick. Spiritual mama's in in the hospital. And that's the problem is, going back to that example and not trying to be gross, is most churches, because the leadership themselves only want to be a babysitter, they've made a bunch of babysitters in the church, and they're all wasting their seed. They have no reproduction because that's how the mentor was. That's how the guy was or the person up here speaking. They were just content with just seeing you for a few hours and then leaving you collecting their offering, didn't want to have a family-style relationship. And now you wonder why you don't have that with others because you went to a mega mess and called it a mega church. Church can be mega, but you better have a mega family up in that mega church. And I'll say this in defense of mega churches as we're about ready to become one in Jesus' name. We're going to redefine it. But when I was in uh, Louisiana going to Bible college, I saw it done both ways wrong. So I went to a smaller church where basically everybody knew everybody. And when I went there, I was a boy from Indiana, and I didn't know anybody. And I literally had no idea about the culture, and I'm living in the south, and I'm just going to church to find my people. And this was the first church that I visited, and they were very kind to me, shook my hand, said hi to me, but never invited me out, never got to know anything more about me. Didn't really figure out that I'm without my family, without my friends, in a strange place. They would just do the, hey, man, how are you doing? Great to see you on this Sunday. Great, to- I'm glad you came, brother. God bless you. How you been? I even remember that there was somebody that mentioned, because they had a TV broadcast. It was a smaller church, but they would have a TV broadcast that would uh, come and uh, shake my hand from time to time and say, I always love seeing you on the replay. You're in the front dancing. I always love seeing you dancing there, brother. So those who like to dance in this church, I was the dancer right there in the front row dancing, jumping for Jesus. But I never got invited to somebody's house. Never got invited to go over to get to know somebody. But I went to a mega church, large church, biggest church in that area. And the very first day I was there, Jamie came over and talked to me. But he didn't just say, man, hey, how are you doing? Welcome here. He got to know me. And within moments, he figured out, this guy's from Indiana. He's never been down south before. He's never lived in New Orleans. He has no family in New Orleans. He's never even visited New Orleans. He's now moved here, and he doesn't know anybody. That Sunday, he invited me over to his family's house to have a home-cooked meal. And this is how good of a brother he was the first day he met me. He then could tell I was tired because I'd been studying all night. And he said, bro, looks like you need a nap. Come take a nap in my bedroom. And he put me in his bedroom. I took a nap. In this dude's house, I know it's almost like the start of another kind of story, a horror story or a weird story. But then I, I took a nap in this dude's house, got up. And was like, man, thank you, and hung out with his family. From that point on, I was never alone in New Orleans. So it's not necessarily that a mega church is bad and a small church is good because the small church that I went to didn't even know how to apply the basics of refreshing others. But the big church, because I eventually asked Jamie later on, I said, man, why did you do that? How did you do that? Like, how did it work? You know, I want to know. And he said, well, in our church, we're taught to adopt every section of chairs for certain amount of leaders. So, you know, they had sections by the hundreds or whatever and I was one of the leaders there and we were told to make friends with everybody because this pastor had started the church in his home making friends with everybody and that's the way it was going to continue on. And that was Victory Fellowship in New Orleans. And I have nothing but good things to say about it because good churches can be big. Can I hear an amen? You you can get good food at a chain restaurant if you go to the right chain. Can I hear somebody say Chick-fil-A? Just because it's not a mom and pop shop anymore doesn't mean it's bad. It just means they knew how to replicate it. And so Paul here is teaching the people, this is how we do it. I refresh you. I pour into you. I'm setting an example. And then when I get around you, you refresh me, just like you've been refreshing others. Somebody say, be refreshed. Amen. Go now to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17. We need to be refreshing others. We need to be looking for opportunities to be spiritual mothers, fathers, and brothers and sisters. The scriptures teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17, that the refreshing works both ways. Listen to Paul as he mentions these folks. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archytus or Acus arrived because they supplied what was lacking from you. So I'm glad that these three brothers came to me because they helped me out for they, look at verse 18, for they refreshed my what? My spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Let me ask you a question. Can your life group leader say that about you today? Oh, snap. Can this church say this about you and say, oh, man, it's so amazing. that, that, you know, this family is here because of what they do. They refresh not only me, but they refresh you. I see them pouring out themselves into your life as they're pouring themselves into my life, and this is reciprocal. It is changing people's lives because for too long the church has relied upon babysitters to do the work of what God called the family, the fathers and mothers, to do. How many know a a babysitter can be good, but there's nobody like a father or a mother? And what we've allowed in the church is for too long for babysitters to do. And this is no offense to those who are good babysitters, but you get my point here, right? We have allowed for too long the church to be ran by babysitters. And guess what? Nobody's being refreshed. Babysitters burned out. Parents are burned out. Kids feel neglected. And then we wonder why all of these things are happening in our culture and community. It's because we haven't circled the wagons. We haven't gone to our church and treated it as a family and had some sit-down talks and resolved some issues and put things in place so that we can guard ourselves. We should not be unaware of the attacks of Satan. We should understand exactly what he wants to do in this culture. What does he want us to do? Separate from the church church. Because nobody there is living right. They're all hypocrites. Those pastors are all alike. They just want your money. They're not spiritual fathers. They're just spiritual pimps, right? Isn't that what the devil wants? And then what does he say? Don't go to that life group. They're no different than you. They're going to judge you. They're going to look down on you. Don't do this. Don't do that. And what he wants to do is discourage us from the very thing that is supposed to encourage us. So what do I say to folks when they're going through hard times? Come to church. Do I say that because I believe when you walk through those doors, it's like walking through Stargate, like you magically just get transformed to a different dimension. I don't know if anybody remembers the TV show and movie Stargate. You know, it's like this blue watery substance, and you just walk through it. (laughs) And then you find yourself in a different world. Like, come to church. It fixes all of your problems. And then the moment the door opens, you walk through the threshold. Oh, I feel like I'm in heaven now. No, that's not why we invite you to church, because everything here is going to go according to plan, that this is automatically going to fix your problems. No, I'm asking you to come because you're a part of the process of others being refreshed, and you yourself will be refreshed. Maybe the day you come, you've had a great day, but the person at the door has been having a tough day, and you can see it on their face, so you refresh the greeter as they're supposed to be refreshing you. Maybe you encourage the pastor who feels like he's a failure because the church is still small and in a storefront, and by you coming and saying amen, you encourage him to keep preaching the gospel. Is it okay if I tell you how you encourage me? You encourage your life group leader when you come as they are encouraging you. Maybe you've had a tough day, and you say, hey, I'm here, and then you share your testimony, and then the life group leader is refreshed because they go, finally, somebody's opening up here. It's not just a book club anymore. Someone's being real, and I know that's going to start bringing breakthroughs to others. You see, have you realized yet that when you are thirsty, you need water? Have you realized that yet in life? How many have realized when you're thirsty, you need water? How many know when you're thirsty, you don't run away from water? How many know and have begun to learn that when you're thirsty in life to be refreshed, you go to church? You get around Christians. Why? Because that's a place of refreshing. And once again, I'm sorry if it hasn't always been done that way. In other words, I'm sorry if when you were thirsty, somebody gave you a pop, but still get water, right? I'm sorry if you went to a bad church that didn't refresh you. They gave you poison or whatever, but here is some fresh water. Here is a place to be refreshed. Here is a place to drink deeply of relationships. Here is a place where you can begin to pour out what God has given you. Somebody say, refresh me, Jesus, to refresh others. Come on let's go through a few more 2 Timothy 1:16. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16 about how refreshing is a part of the church world and how if we start doing the work of parents and not babysitters we'll start being refreshed as we refre- refresh others. May the Lord, look at verse 16, May the Lord show mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, Ones, Onesiphorus rather, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he went out of his way. He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. How many people could say of you in this church right now, let's just make it specific, make it localized. How many could say in this church, so-and-so came after me when I was hard to find, hard to deal with, and made sure that I knew they were there for me? Isn't that what's supposed to be said of all of us? I'm not saying we're there to be their God. I'm not saying we're there to replace the Holy Spirit and be a crutch for them to always lean upon us and not to develop their own skills. I always say hand-ups over hand-outs, but in the process of hand-ups, you need to help people, don't you? You need to be there for them, and God will give you wisdom and discernment. There are often times when people are doing this, they get discouraged because the one that they're helping says, you haven't helped me, you've made things worse. I have a brother in here, and I won't mention him. It was his first assignment to do a uh, him and his wife to do marriage counseling. Imagine this. Just imagine how wicked people are in the church at times. God have mercy. His marriage is beautiful and blessed over probably three to five years at that time. Stunning couple. At any time in my marriage, if I had an issue, I would go to them and, and, and just At the drop of a hat, I would always think of this couple as someone I can receive from. The very first couple that they went to counsel was in the biggest mess possible. All their world is falling apart. Expected them to fix them in that moment. And when they didn't, reported back to us. Those people didn't help us, but they hurt us. Somebody say the devil is a liar. I I said, thank God that I didn't talk to them. Because I would say the first thing, you selfish thing, you... You blow up your entire marriage, and you expected these folks to fix you on the first time. You should have went to Jesus to have been fixed a long time ago, you sinner. And then the next, I'm going to get free right now. I'm going to get it all out. You send them this. You say, if you hear you know who they are. You send them this, you wicked sinner, saying that to them. And then number two, I don't care if all the advice they said to you was, read your Bible and pray. That was enough for you to get free. Because I have counseled enough people for hours and it always come down to you don't know your Bible and you don't know Jesus. Because if you knew how to pray and talk to Jesus, y'all would not be talking to each other this way. And if you had the Bible on your front, uh, on your table and in your car, you wouldn't be having no affair where you're going. And there wouldn't be no mess. So I don't care because I know they certainly told you to pray and read your Bible. I don't care if that's all they told you. That's enough to fix you. In Jesus' name. Oh, and don't let me ever hear, well, I, know I want to speak to Pastor Joe now. They didn't work. No, you will never speak to me after that. <laughs> half kid. No, half kid. You will speak to me, but I will bring you the best rebuke this side of the Mississippi you have ever seen. I will say, you are in sin. You're in pride. No wonder your marriage is messed up. You don't know how to listen. All y'all jacked up. And now I'm here to tell you that. And here's my advice for you. Go back to them and get counseling. That's what I'll say. Because honestly, people, let's just be honest, people think that because I am a long-standing spiritual father that I'm the only one that can be a spiritual father here. And that's insulting to the body of Christ. Not only is it insulting, as we said in our example at the beginning, when somebody said, oh, don't, don't follow me, only follow Jesus, I'll let you down. And, and that shows that Jesus stinks at making disciples. When someone says in this church, well, only Joe, only Pappy Joe can be my spiritual father. What does that say? That says, I stink at making spiritual leaders. You're not paying me a compliment when you reject the leaders of this church. You're actually disrespecting me in the highest way. You're saying my multiple years of work in that person is garbage. So I do take it personal because it's my personal life's work. My personal life's work is to raise up spiritual leaders. That's, I preach on it. I'm preaching on it now about me preaching on it. Are you listening? Let that just cycle you through a few times. I'm preaching on me, preaching on it, because this is what it looks like, and that's why I love it how Paul says, "Oni," we'll just say that, or One for short, that can be his nickname, we call him One, One here was amazing at refreshing others. Look at how many people he's refreshing. He's refreshing Paul, and he's looking hard for Paul, and he's refreshing everybody there that's in Ephesus because he's doing what they can't do. That should be said about us. We're people who refresh. We're people who encourage. You got time for one more? Come on, go to Philemon, chapter 1, verse 7. Vinny, would you come, please? How many want to be spiritual mothers and fathers in here? How many want to reproduce spiritual children and impact the world for Jesus? Being refreshed and refreshing others. Look at what he says here in Philemon, chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is speaking to this great leader of the church. He's going to give him instructions about releasing his indebted servant. So those who think the Bible supports slavery, have them read the book of Philemon. It's actually putting an end to the Roman slave trade, to the Roman slave trade. And so, yes, they had to live with it for a while because the Christians themselves were being eaten alive by by lions. How do you start a civil war or a civil rights movement when you yourself are being eaten by lions? People have no idea what they're talking about when they read the Bible, you know, or hear somebody online, do they? They get like a little snippet. Well, the Bible says slaves obey your masters. What do you want the Christians to do? Bring up evil to the Roman Empire while they're getting hunted down, living in caves? It's talking about people living with respect towards those they had in their businesses as employees or indebted, uh, indebted servants and treating them even as Christ treats them. He said, because you have the same master. Can I get an amen for that? So I'm glad you're learning a little something extra today. In Louisiana, in, in the Creole language, we call that lanyap. Yeah. Somebody say lanyap. Yeah. That's a little something extra for you all. Yeah, and first, uh, first, uh, first uh, there is no anything other than Philemon, so it's not even technically a chapter. So we go Philemon, verse 12. Look at this. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me and take your place in helping me while I'm in chains. Are we reading the right scripture here? I don't see anything about uh, being refreshed here. Go to verse 7. You're in verse 12, my brother. You you're making sure I'm up today? Let's give it up for my brothers in the back. You're refreshing me. you refreshing me. I'm speaking that out by faith. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Man, come on now. No, what they do, they refresh me. Imagine me doing it all up here myself, you know. Speaking about this brother, Philemon, he says, Your love has given me great joy And encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Just think about that. Let that sink in. All of these different characters in the Bible that you're learning have refreshed others have made impact into people's lives. Once again, I am sorry if someone was supposed to refresh you in the church, but they took from you. It was almost like they were giving you salt water. I'm sorry some of you went through that. I know that's real. There is a difference between butt hurt and church hurt. Butt hurt is you just couldn't take what was going on there, and God was trying to grow you through it. But church hurt is it wasn't supposed to happen to begin with. Okay? But I want to reemphasize this. Notice how one person can make all the difference here. The one person is refreshing Paul, and not only Paul, but all the others around him. This kind of person is literally a river of refreshment wherever they go, refreshing the hearts, plural, of the Lord's people. How many are encouraged when you hear about others being encouraged? I mean, these are kind of the things that got played out, but it is kind of fun to watch them every now and then. The the pizza delivery person, They show up somewhere, you know, whether it's to a church or to a business, and they get like a $10,000 tip. Isn't that cool when you watch something like that? Or you see these different things happen, you know, in these different uh, charitable giving. But you know what? You don't have to wait to give somebody a $10,000 tip to refresh them. All you need to do is start to find a need that's in somebody's life and begin to fill it. Notice this. You don't have to refresh everyone, just refresh someone. And even for that someone that you're refreshing, you don't have to do everything in their life, just do something. Just do something for someone. Just imagine for a few moments that if each one of us did something for someone consistently. So let's just think about this church right now. There's about 100 to 150 that attend each service. You put that together, about 300 call this their church, 250 on average coming each week. Imagine if each one reached out to someone and said, For the rest of the summer, I'm gonna make an impact into their life. How quickly do you think that will multiply? How quickly do you think that person's now gonna start bringing their extended family? How quickly do you think that's going to be to where now they are able to give that back to somebody else? I would not be here if people were not refreshing me. Just like Paul, as he was speaking to spiritual sons and daughters, I am now being refreshed by spiritual sons and daughters. Berta, would you come, please? Would you give it up for this man of God, one of our campus pastors? Pastor Berto, would you come stand here for me please? Come on, man of God. I always tell people I look up to you, man, in more ways than one. Now we bought the same. I remember leading Pastor Berto to the Lord while he had come back from a Catholic retreat hungry for more of God. By God's grace, I was there to be used by God to help him to connect to God and we've had the honor of sharing life together he has now refreshed me in just as many ways as I know I have refreshed him it is 100% reciprocal if you want to think about it as a funny picture do you ever see little fountains with the little naked baby cherubs and they're just spitting water into each other's mouth that's what came into my mind right now That's what we are, just these little baby angels just pouring water one from another, just being refreshed. You can't make this up. You can't make up relationships. It takes time. You don't get them overnight. You develop them. You develop them through the lives of people you're helping. I didn't walk away from Berto on a bad day. I walked through Berto's life on tough days. And he has now walked with me through those same days. Come on, somebody. Can I get Jessica and Erica to come up here? Because Jessica is sitting next to one that she's mentoring right now. Let's give it up for these two as they come. You could just stand right here for me, brother. Come stand right here and face the people. Thank you. This is what it looks like when you do it from your heart, you begin to share life with somebody that when the outsiders look at you two, they think you're sisters. But that's because in the spirit, you share the same heart. Jessica was one of the first that started in our house on Addison as we planted Metro Praise. She was single that time, being pursued by Salvador. That pursuing went on for a long time, but he finally got her. But during that time, Nancy, would you come up, please, my wife? Can you give it up for Nancy as she comes? Nancy was pouring into Jessica. Now, someone could have said at that time, Oh, she's just a teenager. She's just a young adult. You know, what what, what are you going to do? How are you going to build a church with someone like her? Don't spend time with someone like Jessica. But my wife treated Jessica as if she was the most important thing because to my wife, she was. Jessica was very important to us. And I'll even just tease her right now. We used to have a communication of when, the new, uh, when people would come because we were a small church, so everybody would just stay in touch. And one day, Jessica said, I'm not coming to service because I have to do laundry. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you better get to church because laundry is not more important than Jesus. We said something. I can't remember what sassy thing I said. But she kept coming. And then lo and behold, here's Erica. Just during this past season, Jessica's made many disciples, by the way, but I love that she was sitting next to Erica because during this past season, Erica's online, right? Seeing different churches, right? You're online, but God tells you to come here, doesn't he? So in that sense, you had many babysitters, many teachers online. But when you came here, what did you find? Jessica, a spiritual sister, a spiritual mama, and track with us now. I want to see them 10, 20 years from now with an altar full of people that Jessica is continuing to impact and now Erica is impacting others. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, let's bless the Lord. Thank you, sisters. Band and altar workers, would you come? There is nothing like refreshing others and seeing them refresh somebody else. Don't miss what God is doing in this church because you have issues. Let God work through your issues as you begin to help others. If I said, I can't help you until all of my issues are settled, how many know we never would have been helping you? Never, because my issues are never settled. There's always other things that I'm dealing with. So the the thing that we're looking for is someone that's willing to carry the character of Christ, keep the things of God pure, and pass them on to others, one to another to another. So are you refreshing others, and are you yourself being refreshed? Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. If you're here and you don't quite yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you don't know the Father as your personal Father, in that spiritual sense, in the way of being born again, right now. Just ask him into your life. We've already done that before with communion, but just one more opportunity. And then if you're here today and you would say, I know Jesus, I've been a Christian, but I have not uh, been refreshed or have not been refreshing. Would you ask the Lord to forgive you today of whatever mistakes that you've been making or whatever excuses you've had? so that you can start today being refreshed and refreshing others. And then for the rest of us right here, can we begin to pray for two or three people right now that we can start to refresh, that we can be more than babysitters with. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but think of those, maybe even in this church or in your family, in your community, on your job, that you can be a source of life to them. And God can use you right now Right now, where you're at, to refresh them. Father, I pray that I'll be a refreshing person to Paul, to Vivek, oh God, to William. Use me to refresh others, oh God. Use me to refresh them, oh God. Help us. Help me to refresh Jeremy, oh Lord. Pray for them a few moments. Those who are not saved, just talk to Jesus because you can even start that relationship right now and then move on to helping others. Just even in the same prayer, you can say, God, I want to be saved. Now help me see others saved. But for those of us who have been saved, pray for them right now. Think of them. You can't do something for everybody, but you can do something for someone. And for that someone you help, you can't do everything for them, but you can help them in some way. Right now, God, I pray that the refreshing multiplication happens in this church. That this house is known as a pool of Bethesda. That this is the place where healing comes. This is the place where your spirit has touched. And there's more than enough refreshing for all the problems of this world and all those who are hurting. There is refreshment for the troubled businessman. There is refreshment for the marriage on the rocks. There is refreshment for the kid using drugs today or those in homosexuality. There is refreshment for all other religions. More than enough. More than enough. More than enough. Few more moments. Come on, let's make this a spiritual time to be refreshed. I'm praying refreshment upon you as you have refreshed me today with your presence and your amens and the joy that I see on your faces. Let me now be refreshed a little bit more by your prayers as I refresh you. Come on. Let's lift this up as a house of prayers, a, a place to let the springs come forth, waters come forth. We are in a desert right now. People are discouraged. We need to see the rivers of living water come forth in this generation. Too many people, too many people feel empty. Too many people are going to church, not being nurtured, not being cared for. A few more moments, we're lifting them up. We're lifting them up, Lord, because you lifted us up. We're praying for revival to come because, God, you started in us. We're praying that we can fill others because you filled us. Can we close by singing, send your rain? We're going to sing this out in closing. And if you want to come for prayer, you can. I'll dismiss in just a moment. But send your rain, oh Lord. Send your rain. Come on, sing it out.